Hello, everyone, and welcome to, I think it's our seventh episode of Think Bad, Do Good, the podcast here at Attack IQ, and we are extremely pleased to have Kumar Chandramuli, who is the Senior Director for Cyber Threat Intelligence. I've already buggered that up. The Senior Director for Global Cyber Threat and Vulnerability Management at Amerisource Bergen, who's joining us today. He's a customer of ours, so I am extra grateful for him coming on board, um, because normally uh, he, he <laughs> we're helping him. And today, uh, today he's coming on the show, which is really great. So thank you, Kumar, for, for joining. Hey, absolutely. Um, glad and excited to be here. Great. And today, Kumar is going to talk about his, like, his role and what he's learned as a senior director in cybersecurity at Amerisource Bergen and really in his career working in cybersecurity. So this is a podcast for, for lessons for chief information security officers and senior leaders working in cybersecurity. And we're also going to talk a little bit about how Attack IQ security optimization platform helps him. But he's got some really good stories about nation state actors um, and what it's like to, to manage cybersecurity in a large company. So, Kumar, first of all, where are you today? I am here in uh, the great state of Texas, in the Dallas area, um, northern side of Dallas. If anyone of you guys are from here, Texas. So, yeah, the. Uh, it's beautiful weather out there. It's not that hot. So we, we blessed this year to have a, a nice, uh, pleasant weather compared to hot weather. So I have no complaints. <laughs> Good. Good. That's, that's awesome. Um, and Kumar studied at UCLA for his undergraduate degree. So he has experience in California. And so you're lucky you've, you've dodged the fire season since leaving California. Yeah. I've been, uh, hearing, um, uh, the news and the pictures, um, Really, really sad to see uh, the smoke and the quality of the past couple of months. Um, so good to know it's going down. But again, I saw something. I heard that it got up again back in Napa yesterday. Yeah. Um, so uh, really hoping that the the winter coming in. So hopefully it shuts down all of that and give a break for you guys uh, and everybody me. in California. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's interesting, like. I like to say that cybersecurity doesn't exist in a vacuum and the fire season coupled with coronavirus, coupled with political instability right now as a country, we obviously face these, these a number of different pressures on us. Um, and so that's an interesting, that's the sort of strategic environment in which we gather. And maybe that's something we could talk about, although I know you're going to go a lot much more into management and, and looking out at threat behaviors, but. My sense is the United States is more vulnerable now than we have been in the past to cybersecurity attacks, cyber attacks of all kinds. Um, so, what, Kumar, tell us a little bit about your role and, and what you do at Amerisource Bergen. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, so, Amerisource Bergen, we are in the business of uh, pharma drug distribution. Um, so, we operate in uh, 50 countries. And uh, uh, our core is to deliver drugs in a timely fashion. Um, so for me, it's more about a purpose-driven leadership and a purpose-driven job, if you will. Um, these are critical life-saving drugs. And, uh, uh, and this core of uh, uh, how we support the community and, uh, and the hospital system and the whole healthcare system. So we take pride in working uh, in that space. And as much as it's very critical and important, it comes with the challenge of uh, cyber attacks as imminent as it is, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I like about 
um, being in this space and also helping something uh, close to where we can deliver value and I can actually see that we are helping um, the healthcare system, right? So that's kind of how the business feeds into what I like to do as well. Um, specifically with all uh, the functions that's involved uh, in delivering the drugs, it comes with a lot of areas where we need to pay attention to. And uh, we could be in a cyber attack anywhere, anytime. So what I do for them is to help build a program uh, to have a good visibility into everything across uh, cross borders, uh, cross platform technologies, um, cross business, uh, third party, fourth party, if you will, uh, trying to get a visibility, understand the risk that's involved and build a program uh, to support um, and thwart those attacks and, uh, and help business be secure and our customers be as uh, secure and uh, they feel confident in uh, doing business with, uh, with us, yeah. right? So primarily I help build those programs and I call it Intel uh, driven cyber program. Um, I like to do a program based on more Intel because it's the cyber attacks are very dynamic. You can't build a wall. You, you could to some extent, you should, but that's not should be a only strategy. Um, you should thrive on Intel um, and then act. Uh, you should focus on how earlier or preemptive that you get those Intel by your various sources and then act upon it and get ahead of the curve and get ahead of the attackers before they come in, close your gaps. So our program is purely based on um, every single thing. Is MITRE ATT&CK an important part of what you're doing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Kumar, how do you use the MITRE ATT&CK framework? Yeah, no, a great question. Um, MITRE ATT&CK is one of the um, framework, if you will, from an from a Intel and hunting standpoint. Um, you know, for compliance, there is a lot more regulations that people follow. For cyber, uh, it's a growing area. And it encompasses everything. Now you need to have a framework to go after and start building a program and see how effective you are. Uh, MITRE ATT&CK is fantastic. It lays out uh, multiple layers uh, of how an attacker goes through from you know, innovation to exfiltration, from the going to the left, uh, recon and the initial attack phases. It gives you every single technology aspect to it. And our hunting teams actually love it because they take it and they test it and they go after week after week saying, okay, this week we're going to focus on just the network innovation, right? Yeah. And then they go work on it. Some weeks we just focus on privilege escalation, right? Some weeks we focus on lateral movement. So the minor attack is great in that perspective. It also gives you a layered approach to your hunting and also able to track it. So. If you're using MITRE, or if you do not know MITRE, and I think it's the right time to uh, get back and look at the MITRE uh, framework, it's constantly growing. A lot of people contribute towards that. And I also see nowadays a lot of tools are taking that as an input and throwing their outputs into that framework bucket, which is fantastic. So That's awesome. And tell yeah. us about the size of your security team and, and how, how, how big each component breaks down in terms of personnel. Yeah, so um, 
Towers is a, a broken down into multiple towers uh, to provide that cyber layered cyber defense, if you will. Uh, the, the bread and butter is our uh, 24-7 cyber ops. Um, it's, it's, it's three shift system and it's worked globally. Uh, these guys actually look at um, the attacks that come to us um, in every single minute, every single second, right? And that's our last line of defense. Now, this team is fed with multiple other teams we have. Uh, one of them is the special ops, uh, we call it. Uh, the, uh, that team focuses on waiting your threat intelligence. We get multiple sources, but you have to be able to consume it and give it to the other teams in a more consumable fashion. Otherwise, there's so much information. You, you can't swim, actually. So that's what these guys do. They what they intel, they make it relevant to our peer group industry or relevant to pharma industry or healthcare industry. Take those, provide it to whoever the consumers are to fix those problems, right? They also do hunting. Um, there are a lot of attacks which go unnoticed because your systems, how mature your systems are, still there isn't human intelligence still required. Like advanced threats don't you know, come up with bells and whistles. They don't land in and say, hey, I'm here. So you have to have the human intelligence to go, okay, I see a small portion of uh, uh, this execution of the CLI and then go back and look at those processes and see you know, what's going on, right? That's what these, these team do. Uh, we also do have a forensics team. Um, they work on post-forensics, uh, help with the investigations and all of that, and also memory forensics. Uh, so some of the times, you know, when we look at a triaging packets, uh, you have to look at a lot more to see from a technology perspective. Is this something we picked? There's some new patterns that's coming in. Is it a new type of attack? We don't know, but that's where the forensics will provide you. So that's and another. Who, who have you found is your biggest user of the minor attack framework? Is it the intelligence team? Uh, the intelligence hunting team, yep, exactly. Um, we also use a little bit similar to the kill chain. Probably a lot of you guys are very aware of. I'm sure the, list, the folks who are listening in will also know that. Yeah, of course. Our instant response, we bake it into the kill chain model um, because the critical threats are on the right side and you work your way towards the left. The right side being your data exfiltration stuff and execution will be on the right side. And then if you move to the left, you will have a lot more uh, initial uh, hold and recon, those would be the left. It could be a lot of noise in that space, right? Yeah. You still have to look at them, but the critical stuff are on the right side and then you work your way to the left. So we use a different framework for the internal response of the Cyber Command Center. And I, I imagine, and I'm speculating, but could you talk a little bit about how you align the most important incidents on the right to your core missions as a company? Obviously, without disclosing anything that would get you that would make you more vulnerable from a security standpoint. But I think that sort of asset identification, aligning assets and teams to defend core missions is a really important part of cybersecurity planning. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because um, every system don't have the same business priority, criticality or data sensitivity. So you have to know um, when an incident happens or an activity happens uh, in any type of system, you should also have an information to go with that. It's it's actionable intelligence, right? So not yeah, only picking up the event, 
but it also should come with the fact that, hey, this is part of your core uh, systems. It's highly critical system. That means the alert goes really high. But yep. if it's an internal facing system, then probably it's, it's a less priority than the other ones. So that's kind of how we, we built our response um, timeframes um, and also team to look at. Um, so yeah, every, every organization, when they go through this maturity, the more value you will find only when you identify, pre-identify, if you will, uh, yeah. an asset priority, business criticality, and data sensitivity. So you, your actions and your playbooks will play accordingly. If it's mm-hmm. a BHI system, the response is different. If it's a GDPR system, then you think about law enforcement, ICO, yeah, respond to. So who do we respond to? How many records if it gets exposed uh, for PAI or, or PHI? Who should be involved? Should you involve your internal legal? Then internal legal will look at outside. So there are a lot of those things will come once you identify what, what is this data sensitivity of that system. Then yeah. you match playbooks to run with it, right? That's kind of how you build your program. That's awesome. In a minute, I want to turn to um, some of your big lessons learned for, for folks in cybersecurity, because you're obviously, you've got a very mature organization, been an extensive career in the space. But before pivoting to that, I, I want to, I want to go from um, looking at the, like your mission essential functions and the critical assets that you have to defend and the different regulations. And I want to think about how you use a breach and attack simulation and MITRE attack to solve these problems and how Attack IQ security optimization platform plus MITRE attack plus any red teaming or purple teaming functions helps you drive towards efficiency. Um, so I wonder if, if you could, maybe we'll start with MITRE attack. How has it helped your security teams to do their jobs better to defend their most important assets? Yeah, no, actually, this is, this is a, this, this is an important, um, and it will become vital for most organizations. I, I think yeah. for me, it is vital to have the testing layer, right? Um, your program could be at any level of maturity, but again, you got to know uh, whatever level you are, you have to assess yourself. The only way in the past or even now, I would say, uh, we do that in security spaces doing a routine, right? But in order to routine, you know, most of the time it's been done or performed once in a year, or maybe sometimes twice, depends on the organization, but predominantly, 80 to 90% I've seen is once in a year, right? And some organizations do more. But now that's only once in a year, but then you're adopting a lot more tools, a lot more capabilities throughout the year as you go by and you process and you people, right? Not just technology. You have to look at it holistically. Uh, that's where the breach and attack simulation is a fresh breath of air. Um, you can do that on a weekly basis, which is kind of what we do. Uh, so not only you turn on a configuration, you want to see, hey, I just turn on two settings in one of the, let's say, EDR solution. You don't want to go call or a teaming to come and do that, but you want to be able to quickly check and see if it's making sense, if it really catches an attack. Does it give you a, a detection or a prevention? You can do that with your breach and attack simulation. That's where it's it's more vital to have at testing alongside anything that you do. And the bridge and attack simulation, especially attack IQ, has provided us a platform to do that on a consistent basis and uh, able to rationalize our tool sets 
the efficiency of the tools. Because when you go to the market space, you can buy EDR tool, you can buy AV tool, you can buy IR automation tool. If you look at their capability chart, they all say the same thing, right? But how do you know who's doing a better job than the other? There's, there's no way you can test the dynamic cyber attacks by yourself. You cannot simulate that. And that's one of the reasons why this is very, very important that someone is able to give you that platform like Attack IQ have given us for us to go test quickly. And then it shows us the response time, not only in the technology, if from technology standpoint, did it pick or did not pick? Did it pick? How early did it pick? Did it miss it? Okay, it missed it. Now moving to the people side, it also tells you how long it took for the for some type of uh, remediation happened, right? It tells you the time that it, it came up and when did you respond? Process-wise, we take these two and then build and see what process did we fail or did we do well, right? And then go back and fix them ourselves. So you got to constantly test your defense. It's, it's very, very, very important. And for me, in any organization, we're trying to build a cyber program. Again, as I said earlier, if you're in the earlier stages or better you are in your progress towards maturity, a testing is essential. And uh, IKEA has provided that platform for us. How have you found the generated the, the data that's been generated through the platform? Have you been able to measure an improvement in your efficiency and, and, and effectiveness through your security program so far? Or is that a place that you're trying to get to? You know, absolutely. It has already started providing um, impacts for us in multiple ways. Um, normally, when we put some tools, you know, it takes some time to see it. Some tools are pretty quick, like right away you see it because you have enough pain points. And Attack IQ is one of them where we know our pain points, like how do we test our tools? Uh, efficacy was always our question, especially dynamic threats. How do you test them, right? Yeah. Um, so when we bought this tool, it right away produced help in many areas, but I will say maybe the high level two or three areas, right? The first one is uh, tool efficiency, right? So we had multiple tools and then we run an attack and then see which tool did best and then be able to take it and go to your firewall team or AV team or EDR team to make sure that they tune to the gap that we identify, right? Yep. So that's fantastic. It will increase our our defense by 20, 30, 40, slowly improve, right? The like next 20, one 30, is 40, percent, or what are you? Percent, yeah. Mm -hmm. Every time you run, we find something, then you go fix it, then you run it again. Then you go up like, okay, 25, 30%, it is fixed. It's still there, things not fixed, then you go fix. Mm -hmm. And then we go through that. Now, the next one is very important. People struggle now with the millions of tools in the same space. If you take EDR, there are hundreds of tools. If you take AV, there's hundreds of tools. Um, if you look for store platform, there are hundreds of tools, right? How do you select them? Um, and especially in this space, it's tough. Now we used uh, Attack IQ to test some of our tool selection as well. It was able to give us a perfect platform to provide us good input on this is what it's happening. And we are able to pick the right tool without just looking at the paper, but we're able to have a real quantification 
of, yeah, hey, this tool did really picked up all those evasions attack, CLI attacks, uh, PowerShell or, you know, fileless malware. You name all the attacks we get. This did, this one did it. Let's go with this tool, right? Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. It's like a test drive. It allows you to do a measured test drive of a capability. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's part of this. Yeah, so so breaching the tax simulation definitely gave uh, those perspective for us. Um, but everything else, like I talked about, for hunting and the reporting, and we do it in two ways. One, technology-based testing, and then threat actor-based testing, meaning We'll pick firewall for this week. We run all simulations that attacks that will be happening at the firewall layer, right? Yep. Network layer. Yep. And then we just go at one particular tool and run it and fix the tool. Yep. The other side is threat actor based. You know, you could have, um, nation state attackers and you may have APT 39, 34, 35. You pick those. According to the time frames, like in the certain times you've seen there are some particular nations to attack are very high during the time you get the intel. So then we correlate that with all threat actors that are more relevant to that particular geography. And also are they going against a pharma or healthcare? So we do all this mapping. The intel team does all the mapping. Then we pick those four or five and run the TTPs based on those threat actors using a tech IQ platform. Just to complete the thought, we also get a threat actor centric view, like you know how you have a compliance centric view. This is more, more critical. You get a threat actor centric view and then you close the gap uh, for those threat actors. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting point, right? So you, you have strategic requirements. You can imagine during a period of geopolitical instability in which there's tensions between one actor or another. The one I think the period I think about is 2012 or the Iran. When you have them attacking DDoS in the financial sector, did the attack on the bridge in New York when they broke into an industrial control? Um, so it's like a period of escalating tensions. But if you're looking at your, if you've got your annual compliance audit or whatever it is, your semi-annual compliance audit, you could run, you could run tests to determine whether or not those particular sections are functioning in the way that they should, or that particular slice of your of your of your set of requirements is working the way it is. Or you could go through. A particular technology, like I'm going to test all my EDR right now, or I'm going to test all this and that, and then you can look at firewall configurations and which firewalls are working best. Uh, yep, is that right? Yeah, yeah, cool. exactly. It's spot on. Yeah. Now, what about um, what I wanted to ask you a second ago is whether, under the, the extraordinary onset of the coronavirus, for your company in particular, which deals with pharma, I mean, obviously we don't have a vaccine yet, so you could end up in a position where you're, you're delivering vaccines. In a, in a pretty timely manner. Um, so that's that's a question to come back to. But the first one is like, have you seen an uptick in certain kinds of attacks under the coronavirus? Yeah. So you would think the 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 world or the globe is under pandemic, and people are struggling in different ways. Um, twenty twenty has been a, a very tough year across the globe. Everybody. Um, going through a lot of crisis and uh, yeah. we all, the good things also came out of that, but a lot happened that way. But you would think the attackers are taking that pandemic um, to see slow down on things now. And what we saw was, it's not surprising, but then 
to see that in reality, it has duly upticked. And from the get-go, uh, companies and everybody was working from home and businesses are shut down and um, attackers don't sleep. And uh, they actually they actually got into this more, this is our opportunity. And they started to stand. The first initial things we saw was the Corona maps came out to track, um, you know, which country is having more attack, how many people are alive, how many are recording. Yeah, you would have expected the attackers to take a break, right? But that did not happen. They were actually, there was uptick on the attacks that we've seen, especially you probably all seen that initial times uh, there are multiple sites and uh, approved sites um, uh, producing a map of coronavirus across the globe. You know, how many are affected, how many are recovering. But then these guys are developed domains and then it's all phishing domains. And then we started to see a lot more phishing, spear phishing email comes from from these attackers with those links to go click. And then they were dropping uh, emotel and malwares and all of this comes through email. We see- so they're, they're, using, they're, using, they're using contact tracing or mapping of the coronavirus as a phishing tool. Yep, and those domains, which is hosting them. So you, you, know, you are very interested to see what's happening. And then you click all those links to see, hey, which country is affected more and which county, how does it affect me? Everybody's so curious during the March, April timeframe, we've seen this skyrocketed, like, you know, we have to catch and block at the email gateway. So um, that's when we realized, okay, so this is gonna be interesting. And then I go so they were the attackers were, in other words, the attackers were using information about Corona, sending phishing emails to people in your company, knowing that people at Amerisource Bergen would be more interested in coronavirus data. Mm-hmm. And so you had to be on the watch for the kind of malware that they might be distributing. Yep, exactly. That's, you got to tip your hat to them. That's like very targeted attack techniques. Yeah. They always have all the time in hand. And then it doesn't matter what the world is going through, pandemic or are, are doing well, they are, they are on mission. They are on mission to uh, uh, do what they are supposed to do, right? So you're gonna be prepared for that. And uh, and it's gonna continue. Like uh, any of your businesses, uh, you may be looking for some products to get shipped during coronavirus. Uh, they will make every opportunity. And especially with the trucks coming in, uh, they are gonna send a lot of these fake messages to all your home emails, say, hey, drugs are available, go click that. So. Personal emails, be careful. I mean, you know, it's being said in every enterprise, but that's true. It's more relevant every single day goes by. Um, so don't click anything again and you'll see a lot more. They're not going to stop. So every opportunity, they will be at it. That gets to a really good part of human psychology. It's like we need our drugs. We're, the thing we're most nervous about is our ability to withstand the pandemic. So you could see that if they knew you were doing a shipment of... Um, hand sanitizer or certain kinds of foods that you needed for your health. Like they, they start manipulating health data in that way. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be very careful. Yeah. Always watchful stuff, yeah. but you have to be. Yeah. That's a good pivot point. I think for, for you to offer some lessons learned from your, from your expertise, how long have you been doing cybersecurity for? Um, gosh, I mean, anytime that I know when I, came out of school, it's always has been security and cybersecurity. Um, although the namings have changed different ways, uh, but always about protecting data. I'm always interested in um, looking 
uh, and thinking strategically about uh, the market's trend. Um, when it came out, security was not a high emphasis, but that's what I like to do and I chose to do. And uh, uh, my thesis and everything revolved around that to start off with, right? Um, and then grown through that and you know, we went through identity phase, access space, um, then the risk management phase, um, some portion of auditing phase, and uh, solely focused on technology portion of it, most of it, right? Uh, building uh, solutions, deploying for them, uh, managing programs uh, for Fortune, uh, top 10, 50, 100 organizations, uh, being in the consulting world, top four consulting before. Uh, so helping a lot more organizations to transform their program in order to do better security, better access control, um, and also provide value to the business, right? And it's always been uh, core to me is how do we do everything in a more purposeful way? And you always find a way to do that. Um, and now we are in a phase where the technology sector and space are moving fast and the business adoption to those like either voice control um, or the delivery, uh, they are changing to the speed of technology. But now as a security team, you have to make sure that you provide the platform and tell them that we will be able to secure however fast you adopt. You gotta be agile in the fashion. If you do that, and compared to five years, six years ago, the business folks have more understanding about cyber threats than before. So when you tell them, they come to us compared to before, right? Hey, I'm trying to adopt this. What are my security risks? They ask that. But you can say, these are all the security risks, but within this time frame, we can give you the platform so they can have a peace of mind that that data is protected. I think that's where that's where you have to think. That's where, uh, from a leadership standpoint, we have to think in that way. How can I not only give them a peace of mind, enable their business more securely? I think that would be the win for security personnel and organization helping business. Right. That's kind of what we are focusing on. Kumar, that's that's excellent. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about. When you're, when you're communicating to your board or when your seniors are talking to the board, how much they talk about the concept of cyber resilience, which is the idea that it's not if but when you're going to be hacked or attacked. And from that point, how do you get them, do you, do you drive them to focus on and, and assure them to say, we're going to focus on the threats that matter most? Is that a narrative that, that you're used to? Yeah, yeah. And, and especially in our organization, um, our customer confidence and data security cybersecurity is very important and it comes from the top, from CEO, from the board to us. So there's a good partnership and our CISO goes to the board and talks about um, how well we are protected and what are the risks that we always see because you never be fully uh, protected in a fashion, but you have to know your risk. And uh, if it comes, how quickly can you respond? And then uh, how quickly you can get the business back online. That is the focus and there is a constant communication going thereafter. And you need that. If you have that type of um, support from that level, then you can do your job better, especially in the security space and knowing that uh, you're supporting um, an organization which they're really focused on security. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And do you, um, have you found at all that using the MITRE attack and, and being able to talk about the three segments we, we flagged earlier, like 
we're, we've got a nation state view, we've got a technology view, and we've got a like a compliance and requirement view. Have you found that like the the threat informed defense approach helps helps the board understand your your efficiency and effectiveness? I know that's sort of a leading question, but I'm just I'm trying to imagine how some of those conversations go. Yeah, no, they they do understand that, and um, we we look at um, Intel based program from the baseline, right? That's our that's that's how we built our program on. So we always tie that back into uh, the information that we have from threats and uh, how do we how do you resolve that? And we always combine that with the data points to look at this is what happened and this is what we found, and. And then, you know, we draw parallels in our market space to see this exact same threat um, have attacked this particular uh, sector. And uh, they see this business as struggling, right? So you always compare so people get a perspective on what are we protecting? Because in cyber, sometimes it's difficult to quantify yes. certain things. And that's when um, the real quantification come into play where we have this intel and actions taken and then when something happens in the market, you also have to be um, educated enough or looking at the intel that's coming on the other side and then go back and compare it uh, yep. on a quarterly basis. So that provides more value for yourself. So you know how best you're operating. And then you also show that to uh, the stakeholders. So they know the investments made are actually um, helping protecting the organization. Right? So. Yeah, that's sort of fact base and database analysis, I think helps everybody get a sense that like, yes, Kumar has his stuff in a pile. Like he's completely organized. He knows what's going on. He's presenting me with data. You can, you can come back and you can be like, Hey, this thing happened, but this is what we did. And we operated at 80% effectiveness and I've identified how to get us to hundred percent. And that's yeah. like, that's just going to help people drop their blood pressure, you know? Yep. Yep. And uh, our CISO does a great job on putting those information back to them. So yeah, absolutely spot on. I think that's more important to know uh, how we are protected. The other important thing we should not miss is telling them the real risk. That is anything yeah. left. You have to convey to them. That's that's the core. You have to be transparent, um, whatever it takes. So that's very important too. That's really, so this is me. I'm not talking out of school too badly. So I had the privilege when I served in government of sitting in the Secretary of Defense and the Deputy Secretary of Defense's daily staff meeting in the Pentagon. And it, start, it was early in the morning. It was like eight in the morning or seven in the morning. And you'd go around the table and the chairman of joint chiefs would be there and the Secretary of Defense and then all the undersecretaries of defense. And there was this one undersecretary who I won't name, charming person, really liked her very much. And I already narrowed it down by, by gendering her, but um, she, she dealt with a very complicated issue. Like it was in the media every single day. It was putting pressure on the force. And every single day she would start by saying, oh, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And like, you know, this is the list of bad things and I'm, I'm doing my best and I'm trying to solve it. And it always left the senior leader without a single ounce of confidence. Like just no confidence that this person has. And then you'd compare it with someone who'd be like, this is where we are in the data. This is where we are in the incident. This is what we've done to solve it. And um, this is how much is left to be done. And then once you've given that sort of confidence briefing to say, this is what I've done to conquer the problem, then you can say, yes, and there's also, I need to tell you about this other component of risk that I'm really trying to solve right now. 
And, and that's when you surface it for the guidance. Be like, I can't solve this problem right now. And either I'm going to go back and work on it with my team or I could use your investment at this point. And I think that level of like performance data and analysis about what actually happened and who's doing what is so important for creating any sense of confidence on your security team. And it sounds yeah. like you, that's, you guys have gotten to that place. Yeah. yeah. And you, you're spot on. You, you rightly said that's how it should be. Um, so that also helps the other thing, which is knowing your own program. The more dissection you do, you also understand your own program better and you can communicate better. And that's actually a good thing. So yeah, you rightly covered it. Yep. Thanks. Yeah. And I recognize I was putting words in, in everybody's mouth. Um, <laughs> I know we're running out of time. Is there anything else you want to mention before we sign off? No, I think, uh, thanks for, um, Attack IQ actually, um, you know, uh, from that layer that we've been looking to adopt, it's, it's adoptability as well, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the platform is part of that adoptability because we always look for adoption. It's either you go into EDR or deception, anything. Um, it should be adoptable. If it's not adoptable, it's not doing any good for me or any of the peers of mine who's in the commercial space trying to get this moving. Um, so that easy adoption helped us and, uh, it helped us, uh, enable our vision that we always had, but now the tool actually fit into our strategy, um, of uh, doing things better. So, and thanks for having me today. Hope, uh, uh, folks listening and yourself, uh, uh, got some value out of this, uh, uh, short session. Tremendously. I mean, tremendously. Thank you for being a customer and thanks for coming on. I mean, like our goal as a company is to help everybody through whatever stage of maturity that they're in to, to make the most of their security program, to make it the most efficient, most effective, to get real insights, real decisions, or, and to make better decisions and real security outcomes. That's what we want to be. And like, we see it as a, as a consultative process with the platform and, and helping our, our, our customers who understand the practice as well or better than we do. And you, you know your business better than we do by far. Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time to talk. I think it helps other people to understand the issues and, uh, and it's great to talk to someone who's been so successful in their career. Everyone's, I'm sure, going to be really glad to learn. That's great. Thank you, man. Yeah.